So welcome to Bible study. We're glad you're here. Well, I'm glad you're here. I can speak for myself. Thank you for coming. Yeah. So let's start our time in prayer. Father, thanks for uh, this time to gather, this place to gather. We ask God your blessing. We pray that uh, we would be open and ready to receive what you want to say. And I ask you, God, that you'd speak to us wherever we're at tonight. We've all come here with some similar things going on, uh, just as a condition of being humans. But we individually have certain things going on that are somewhat unique to where we're at right now. And so, God, I pray that you would speak to us in those general areas of need, but I also pray that you'd speak to us in some of the specific and very personal areas of need that we each have. And so tonight I pray that we would be open to receive what you want to say and open to receive what you want to do. I pray, God, that you would change us and you would challenge us tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Okay, 1 Samuel 16, 7. Anybody want to read that? All right, thanks for reading that, and uh, way to stay strong there, Don, I appreciate that. So we're going to look at uh, what I'd like to discuss tonight is what God looks at, uh, because it's not what we look at, and I suppose I, I should say it that strongly because uh, this verse says it that strongly, that God does not look at the things that we look at. And so starting from that point, uh, I want you to begin to think about that in terms of what's important to you versus what might be important to God when it comes to viewing other people. And uh, if we can start with a premise that we're not looking at the same things that he's looking at, and then maybe it'll make it easier at some point for us to change our minds and change the way we see things. At least that's what I want to encourage you toward. So I want to talk to you about what God looks at. And uh, what we have here is an account of Samuel. God came to Samuel, spoke to him. Now, this is after Saul had already been anointed king. Uh, Samuel had realized that this was not a good thing. This was something that uh, Saul was unfit to be the king, and so God had spoken to Samuel, and he said, well, I want you to go, and I want you to anoint the new king, and so he was going to send him to anoint a new king, and so he told Samuel exactly what he was to do and how he was to go about it, and he sent him to Bethlehem, and he knew that the new king would be one of the sons of Jesse. Now, these aren't the Duke boys. <laughs> these are the sons of Jesse in the Bible. And so, Samuel uh, goes to Bethlehem. Uh, he's going to have sacrifices there. And so, he goes about consecrating the different families that were there, including the family Jesse and his family. And Jesse brought his sons before him to present his sons to him. And so what we have here is a situation where Jesse is parading his sons in front of Samuel. He starts with the oldest, and the oldest happened to be very tall and very good looking. And so when he walked in front of Samuel, Samuel said, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. That's in verse 5. Or verse 6, excuse me. If you want to just look up in verse 6, you can see him saying that. 
Now, what's, what's interesting about that? Who anointed Saul king over Israel? Samuel. Who or what did Saul look like? What was the distinguishing characteristic of Saul? He was very tall. And he was good looking. So, we'd already seen this happen before, the scenario. The scenario of what happened here had happened before when Samuel went to anoint Saul as king over Israel. Saul was good looking and Saul was very tall. And so when Samuel has another shot at it, right? Saul was a bad idea. Saul wasn't working out. Saul was not the right guy they wanted to be king. Samuel knew that. In fact, God had sent him to anoint the new king. And so the first guy he sees is tall and handsome. And so his reaction to that was, surely, surely this must be, or this is the Lord's anointed. That's how he reacted to that. Now Samuel was not a spiritual slouch either. And I want you to understand that. He's not somebody that you look at and think, well, he's not smart or something, or he's not close to the Lord, or, or he doesn't know spiritual things. Or I don't want you to think like that. I want you to think about Samuel as being somebody who is close to God. Samuel somebody that God knew and who knew God, who, who knew the voice of God, was led by the voice of God. Somebody that God trusted. Someone that people trusted. He was a leader in the nation. And so all these things were going on. All right, and so I want you to keep that in mind when you think about Samuel, because I, you, you can't just pass this off to, well, Samuel just wasn't, you know, that good at this or something. The way I want you to see Samuel is I want you to see Samuel is a very spiritual, very seasoned, very mature, very sensitive to God's voice individual. All right, so I want you to think about him that way. And here he is making exactly the same mistake again. Or at least the same assumption. And what was the assumption? The Lord's king, the king of Israel, is going to be tall and handsome. It didn't work once, but he was going to do it again. Why? Because somewhere in his head, and I would suggest it's not just his head, but somewhere in his head, he had the idea that the leader of the nation, the leader of Israel, needed to be tall and handsome. And so that was his first thought. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. And what we have here in this verse is God's response to that. Of no. That's incorrect. This is not the Lord's anointed. This is not the one that's going to be king. This is not the one that's going to be the what I choose. And it doesn't say really too too much bad. Like Eliab was his name. It doesn't say too much bad about Eliab. Eliab just happened to be tall and handsome. But he wasn't the one God was going to choose. Well, who was God going to choose? We already know the answer, right? Which son of Jesse does God choose? David. The last one. And the one that wasn't tall and handsome. That's the one he was going to choose. But we know that. Samuel doesn't know who it is yet. And he has to evaluate and he has to look. But the criteria of his evaluation is what I want you to think about. Because that's what God brings up. That's what God says. He says that God looks at things we don't look at. He sees things that we don't see. And so as Samuel was looking at that, he was thinking one thing, and yet it was... Something completely different. Samuel 10, uh, Samuel 10, verse 24. Somebody want to look at that? That's the uh, story about Saul. Just so you don't think I was making that part up. First Samuel 10, 24. Someone like to read that? 
Yeah. And he was pointing to the way he looked. Because what could all the people see about Samuel? The way he looked. And that's why he was pointing at him. He said, here he is. He's, he's a head and shoulders taller than anybody else around here. He's somebody that is good looking. He's tall. He's handsome. He's all these things. There is none like him among the people of Israel. And all the people said, you know, God saved the king or hell, hell, it's good to be the king. Whatever they said. But men value men by what they see. That's a general principle. That's how people, that's how we value. That's how we place a value on people is by what we see. And Samuel was no exception to that. In fact, even in the face of being wrong the last time, 1 Samuel 10.24, he maintained the same rule of how he would evaluate the next king. Rules are tough when we have rules like that. And I want to challenge a rule in you tonight. If you've got that rule, we're all born with it. We're all rewarded for it. We all have expectations built in to us. You know, every time I listen to the radio, there's a guy I listen to on the radio. And he does a commercial and he says, uh, I'm going to share a little advice with you. Dress for the job you want, not for the job you have. Why would he say that? I hear that every day when I listen to this guy on the radio. Why would he say that? Because people look, people value, men value men by what they see. That's why. And it's something that is so common every day, common knowledge, common sense. It's the way people think. It's just not how God does it. So here's the issue. If something is a rule because everybody does it, if it's a rule because it's the way the world works, if it's a rule because this is how things operate, then how difficult is that for us to see or to live differently understanding that God doesn't do things that way? And that's what the real challenge is. Because most of you have jobs somewhere, you work somewhere, and you're expected to look a certain way when you go to work, aren't you? Yeah. Yep. And so that expectation, that rule is placed upon you every day that you go to work. I mean, you might would rather wear sweatpants and your slippers to work. I mean, I went into Dr. Hughes today. And there was a woman there that was wearing purple fuzzy slippers when I walked in. She was at the counter in total sweatpants, sweatshirt, and purple fuzzy slippers when I walked in. And I thought to myself, man, I bet she's comfy. <laughs> I assume she wasn't coming from work, though. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I doubt it, actually, that she was coming from work. <laughs> but, I mean, it, and, and it just happens to be that we live in a society that has certain expectations, and societies have their expectations of how you're supposed to be. It, there's rules that we live by. But God doesn't follow that rule. And I think that's really interesting for us because the, the very least of what I believe God calls us to is, well, we're going to live by that rule because we're going to go to work. We're going to live by that rule because we're going to, uh, meet certain expectations others have of us by the way we dress or the way we look or we're going to bathe hopefully at some point we're hopefully going to wash our hair at some point we're hopefully going to comb our hair or something or we're going to meet certain minimum standards of expectation if we plan to keep a job but i think there needs to be a challenge in each one of us not to live in such a way that we judge people that way, even though we're being judged that way. And that's what's really hard. And that's really what I've been building to all the way up to this point, 
is that we're being judged that way. We're being expected to live that way. We're conforming to certain rules because those are the expectations of our society. And yet, then we're being challenged not to judge others by the same measure that we're judged. That's kind of tough. But totally doable. I mean, it's just tough. <laughs> it's totally possible. I mean, it's just, obviously it's possible. And so something needs to change in our minds. And so God tells Samuel, says, do not look at how handsome this guy is and how tall he is. Talking out Eliab, David's brother. Like, don't look at it. Don't look at that. Why? Because those are both points of failure for Samuel. Those were both points of failure. That they looked on, he looked on, that he was handsome. He looked on that he was tall, the same points of failure that he had with Saul. And God says, stop looking at these things. These are weaknesses. These are points of failure for you. Many, 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 many years ago, I used to travel to churches and I would show up to churches. I'd wear a suit every Sunday. I had a black suit normally. And then I began to expand my collection of sport coats. I had a sport coat after a while. But at first, when I first started, I had a black suit and I started out with a tie. And then I got more ties. And so I had a black suit and like three ties. And then after a while, I had a black suit and I had two different color shirts. One was cream and one was white. Yeah, yeah. And then after a while, I got a sport coat and I got really crazy, you know, with a sport coat. Because it was kind of this tan brown look thing to it. And it had some kind of uh, fancy thread woven into it. So it was a little bit shiny, maybe a little silk or something, you know. What's that? No, no elbows. No, no, no. So the black suit, though, was the uniform. If I was going to a church I'd never been to before, I had to wear the black suit. Had to. And so I'd wear the black suit. The only problem was I had really long hair. (laughs) And so I'd be okay at the black suit, but then I'd have long hair. And so I get all kinds of weird judgments and all kinds of weird things happen to me, but I really just felt like I was supposed to, you know, whatever, rock the hair. So I did. And uh, and so I had hair then, actually. Yeah, it was nice. And so, and so there would be all these expectations that would be put on me. And I remember being kind of the brunt of that. Like the brunt, and I was brought on myself, so I'm not complaining. Like, I'm not saying, oh, yeah, you know, these people are jerks or anything. They're not jerks. They had a certain expectation of what's supposed to happen. And I didn't meet that expectation. So I, I know what it's like not to meet an expectation like that. But then I get up and speak or get up and minister or something like that. Most of the time, things went fine. And they even noticed that I didn't meet the expectation when at the end of the service, the same way they noticed it at the beginning. Because there was something more important that happened, something that was more vital to what they cared about than whatever the length of my hair was. I mean, I had the black suit on, and I carried a black leather Bible, and it was a King James Bible, and my name was embossed on the outside of it. I mean, I had that. had a tie on Then, (laughs) yeah, it was then. I mean, I can't even remember. I I cannot even remember. It'd have to be at least 17, 18 years ago. A tracksuit? A real one. Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the black suit. Well, it was charcoal. Yeah. It was charcoal. Yeah. Yeah, there were red suspenders I had with it. And I had yellow suspenders, too. 
And I had a red bow tie. Oh, yeah. That I'd wear sometimes. But then I had other... <laughs> so, yeah, what year was that? 1995 or something? 93? Yeah, so... All right, it was after that. <laughs> I said worn a suit after that. So I would have to guess somewhere around 17, 18 years ago, probably. Uh, but but I, I definitely wore it so that I would, you know, because there's a rule about it. Right? There was a rule about it. And so certain things were, certain expectations were met, certain, certain worms were not. But the bottom line was that at the end of the service, a lot of times none of those things mattered anymore. Because something else was more important. And, and so I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get at with this with us is that there needs to be something more important to us. There needs to be something that matters more than the way someone looks. Like something that, that we can cultivate that's in us already. Something that we can uh, feed that's in us that matters more to us about a person than the way they look or where they're going to meet our expectations in any kind of a physical manner. Like, you know, by the way they look or by the way they dress or whatever that is. And so coming at it from a different direction, coming at it from a different way, something that can grow in us, something that can be bigger in us than what we see. And that's fighting a lot in us as people to let that grow in us. That's fighting a lot in us as people to let that begin to mature in us and to feed that in our lives so that we can see things differently. It's not easy. It's not automatic. Because who was God looking for? I already said, you know, we know who he was, right? David. But what about David? What was the characteristic of David that God spoke of that was important to him? What was it? He was a man after God's own heart. Uh, somebody look at 1 Samuel thirteen fourteen. Then somebody else, 1 Samuel 13, 14, somebody else, Acts 13, 22. Okay, how about that 1 Samuel 13, 14? All right, so what was important to God when he chose David? What do we see here? Well, at least this characteristic. He's a, he's a man after his own heart. All right, Acts 13.22. All right. So, so what about David? David had a desire for God. David was someone that God loved. And he was someone that loved God. And that verse says something in Acts 13.22. It says that he'll do everything that I want him to do. Yeah. Was he perfect? No. In fact, he was sort of sinful. And a little bit psycho when it came to killing people. But, but he really loved God and he was really after God's heart. It, I mean, that's the truth though. I mean, he, he had some issues. And yet he never strayed from really wanting God and really wanting more of God. He never strayed from really caring about God's heart and, and his heart and God being in his heart. He didn't care. I mean, that those were the things that he really, really cared about. And whether he got distracted, whether he got off track, whether he uh, did something he wasn't supposed to do, whether he engaged in, in grievous sin, whatever the issue was, David killed his ten thousands, didn't he? Yeah. He was a great warrior. He was a great military commander. He's all those things. But the most important thing 
was that he was a man after God's own heart. That's what God was looking for. Well, how do you see that? God sees that. God knows. How do you know if someone's after your heart? What kind of action? Flowers. What could be, in modern terms, could be considered stalking. Yes, yes, it could be. You know, not not in the old days. You know, you're pursuing. There's a pursuing, right? That we would, we would consider to be a a an appropriate response of someone that is after your heart. That means they're going after you, after your love, after after who you are. They they're pursuing. And so, how do we express that? We have got a couple things here. Flowers. How else do we express that? Candy, huh? Texting, yes. Jewelry, candy. I mean, Howard over there, he's broke already. I mean, you know, you got candy, flowers, and jewelry going on. Okay, showing affection. How do you show affection? Money. What is? The, what is the? Now you're going broke. How do you? How do we? Sh- what commodity? Do we give, besides money, to show affection, show we care about somebody? How do you know? Time. Time. <laughs> no, time is a big one because we're, we're, that means that we're not doing something that we would normally be doing, something that we want to do in order to be with someone else because we care about them and we're showing them affection. And that can be in any kind of relationship. That doesn't necessarily have to be a romantic relationship. That could be in a friendship. That could be in any kind. It could be in a family relationship. It could be a mother, a daughter, a father, a daughter, a son, or whoever, brother, sister, cousins, whoever it's going to be. It could be anybody. But if we're willing to take the time to be with that person, to be in their presence, and to take the time to spend with them, to listen to them, to speak to them, to share our heart with them, that goes a long way. And that's a huge commodity for people. Even texting. You know, that was brought up. And as silly as that sounds, it's super important right now. In the time that we live in, that is a super important thing for people in order for you to show them that you care about them. As silly as it is. So God was looking for somebody after his own heart. So what does that tell us about David? David invested. David was investing, and David invested in knowing God. He took the time. He made the sacrifice, whatever that was. He did what he needed to do. I mean, he wrote songs to God about how much he loved him. Loved him. All the things that he was feeling, he shared his emotions with God. You look in the Psalms, you see those emotions being poured out. of his heart toward God. He took the time to pursue. He took the time to to spend in His presence. He took the time to express Himself and even hear and listen to what God was saying too. That's what God was looking for. You know, God's always been looking for someone to walk with Him in the cool of the day. He has. It's always been pretty simple. I mean... Adam and Eve, that's what they did for how long? We don't know. It's like I was saying on Sunday, they were eating of the tree of knowledge, uh, the tree of life. They lived forever. Time didn't matter. They didn't need a watch for that. Gonna eat the tree of life today. How long are we gonna live? Forever. What time is it? Who cares? Who cares? How long were they in the garden? We don't know. It doesn't matter how long they're in the garden because they're eating the tree of life. So how long did they walk with God in the cool of the day? We don't know. But they were spending their time with Him and they were spending time in His presence and and that's the way we were created. That's what God has always wanted. This isn't surprising. This isn't something that just came out of left field with David. Oh, that's what I'm looking for. Oh, now we know. Okay, good. No, that's how He created us. That's what He wanted from the start. That was His will, His created will for us in our lives, for who we are to be. That's how it was made from the very start. You look at Jesus. Jesus would go off early in the morning before it was light. What was he doing? Spending time with the Father. 
Got to invest. Got to invest. You're walking with the Father. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. How can you say that? Because you're with him all the time. That's why. So that's what he was looking for. So David, he, he fit the bill that. He sees his heart. He sees who he is. He sees a man after his own heart. That's who he chooses. What's easier though? Outside or inside? Which is easier to see? Outside, man. That's the easiest, right? And we've learned to make instantaneous judgments on people based on what we see on the outside. And how many times are those wrong and we just ignore it? Lots of times. There's lots of times. You look at somebody on the outside, you make an instantaneous judgment, and you're just wrong about it. But you skip those because you want to keep a narrative going in your head. And so you remind yourself of the ones you're right about. You forget the ones you're wrong about. How many times you're right? A hundred percent of the time. Yeah. That's not true. You just don't remember when you're wrong. You choose to forget. And it's just fruitless anyway. It's easier to look on what's on the outside. It's definitely easier because it's outward, it's visible. It requires no discernment. Nothing. Just look on the outside. Yeah, whatever. You see, discernment is spiritual work. I want you to hear that. Discernment is spiritual work. That means you actually might have to pray about something. That means you might have to have your ears open and hear what God says about that person. You might have to actually seek after God and see what He has to say before you make your judgment. You see, discernment is a spiritual work on our part. You look at Proverbs 18.15. Somebody look at that. This is a Bible study, right? Proverbs 18.15. I'm going to take it easy on you. Right in the name. You know what's you know what's happening. <laughs> I mean, even that Bible study is study. Is that I mean, is what is study? Anybody ever you're in school? Remember when you're in high school and you need to study for an exam, but you were watching TV instead? You can call it study, right? But how are you going to do in the exam? Probably not so good. Why? Because you didn't study. Study is work. Study hall. That's a sad commentary right there. That's right. All right. What are the two words in that? What the heart of the discerning does what? Acquires. What does the word acquire mean? It means you pay for or work for. You must somehow collect it in. All right? That is not a passive state. You are actively acquiring, paying for and working for what? Knowledge, right? Is that what it says? Okay, what's the other word in there? Verb. Give me a verb. Seek. What does the word seek mean? That means just wait around and wait till it slaps you in the face, right? That's what that means. Is that what seek means? Yeah, no, it never mean that. What does seek mean? What does it, seek's an active thing. You're actually going out and you're actually pursuing and looking for something. That's what the word seek is. So both the things in the discerning heart, both the characteristics described in Proverbs 18.15 about the discerning heart is action. Action. There are two verbs that you have to take action on. That's what discerning heart is. Discernment is spiritual work. That's what it is. And for some people it comes, I guess you could say, in a sense it comes easier to some people than to others. I think some people move in a gift of discerning of spirits, but that doesn't get necessarily guarantee they're going to see people the way that God does. 
It may give them insight as to whether something is godly or demonic, but it may not, just because they have that spiritual gift, give them the ability to see the way God does when he looks at people. That takes work. Why does that take work? Because we have a different default in our life. We have something different that we're rewarded for every day and that we're told is true every day. And so if we're going to do something differently than that, it's going to be work on our part. There's going to be some seeking involved and there's going to be some acquiring involved. We are going to have to put in the effort. if We're going to see it happen. And so God looks at what is on the inside. And it talks about the heart. Now, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Jeremiah 17.9. Anybody know what that says? For the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the answer to that question is God. I know it's implied, but I'm just letting you know the answer to that question is God. Now, the reason that's one of my favorite verses in the Bible is because people somehow believe they know their own heart, and they don't. And just be aware of that. Just be aware of that. We are deceived all the time. Now, I can say we're deceived by other people because that could be true. But our hearts deceive us if we allow it all the time. All the time. And so I, I like to challenge people with that verse, with Jeremiah seventeen nine, because what that begins to reveal to us is that we need something godly working in our hearts and minds. We need some godly discernment, even though it's work, even though we have to acquire and we have to seek. Just recognizing the fact, we're just not peering into our hearts and saying, oh, that's obviously what the truth is, because it's not. And if we can't do that for our own hearts, how much more difficult is it for us to just look at another person and pretend we can do that? I mean, it's easy to pretend we can do it, but in actuality, how hard is it to actually see that the way God does? It's not easy. It's not easy. Okay, I'm going to go over some verses with you. Uh, we got a, a couple Gospels that say the same thing. I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 15. And the theme of these two things, and uh, through Matthew chapter 15, somebody else look up Mark chapter 7. They're going to say the same thing, so... I'm just going to have you double up on it a little bit. But Matthew 15, Mark chapter 7. The theme of these verses, ready for the theme? Are you so dull? Yes. Yes. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Jesus is asking the disciples, are you so dull? Yes. Yes, we are. It's true. So, uh, Matthew, somebody read verses 15 through 20 of chapter 15. Matthew 15, 15 through 20. No, no, keep going. I want to hear all this. Uh, verse 20. Alright. So here's the problem. Jesus is challenging the way that these people were thinking. And the way these people were thinking is that it's what goes into you that's going to make you dirty. In other words, if you don't follow the rules, 
and you eat the wrong things, you take in the wrong things into your physical body, you're going to be defiled, you're going to be dirty, and you're going to be no good. And Jesus said, are you so dull? Now, now everything I just said, people believe. Today. Today. In this day and age that go to church every Sunday, people believe everything I just said. I could just just state it a little bit differently. And this, this is what I, and I've heard this preached. I can't even count the number of times I've heard this preached from a pulpit. You don't know what a pulpit is? Good. From the front of the church. This is what I've heard said. You ready? The principle of Geigo. Yeah. I've heard this preached so many times, I can't even tell you. And that is, brothers and sisters, that when we are unawares of what we're taking in, and we're taking in garbage, the garbage goes in, G-I, the garbage comes out, G-O. So if you're taking in garbage into your life, you're going to have garbage coming out of your life. Now, this is what I keep hearing preached, brothers and sisters, over and over again. Now, you may have heard that preached too. Are we so dull? Jesus just said that's not the case. The problem isn't what's going into you. The problem is what's in your heart. That's the real problem. The problem is what's already in here. And I'm just pointing here. This, uh, you have a reference to heart. But it's what's there that's the problem. And we have to leave behind bad ideas. Are you so dull? we got to leave them behind. Because those ideas, even though well-meaning people who have been well-meaning their whole lives, who are still well-meaning and trying to get all well-meaning all over you and up in your well-meaning business, are trying to help you with it, it doesn't mean it's true. It's just well-meaning. And you can love them for being well-meaning. But let's not be dull. Because the fact of the matter is, as we illuminate the truth of the matter, as Jesus illuminates the truth of the matter, it's not what goes into you that's going to defile you. It's what comes out of you. It's what comes out of your heart. That's why we all have, and you've heard me teach on this a lot of times, but we all have different sensibilities about things. Things that bother me don't bother you. Things that bother you don't bother me. Well, it's because there's different stuff in my heart. i got different sludge in my heart than the sludge that's in your heart. And the sludge in my heart may react to things that the sludge in your heart doesn't react to. And so I'm not looking at you and the sludge in your heart and the things that are you're, you're watching or you're hearing or you're in the midst of. I'm not looking at that and judging that thinking, well, how could they let that happen? How could they take that into their lives? Well, their sludge is completely different than mine. And that sludge is whatever they've got to deal with. My sludge is my sludge. And I've got to you know, be, be aware of what triggers me. I've got to be aware of what's in here and what's coming out of here. And if there's going to be any healing, there's going to be anything in my life that's going to bring change and that I want to see God deal with, it's in here. That's where it is. That's where it all originates, in here. And we can't be so dull, we keep blaming other stuff. We can't be so dull that we judge people because of what we're seeing all the time or not seeing or whatever it is. Because the issue has been and always will be in here. Always. And what's in here for me is going to be different than what's in there for you. If you look at uh, Mark 7.21, somebody has Mark 7, I think. And this is still the Are You So Dull series here. Anybody? Mark 7.21? Right, right. So let's not be dull. Let's not be dull about it. I think after all these years, 
Either the people that struggle with this are gone or have figured it out. The people that are here have figured it out. And the new people don't even know what I'm talking about. And that's all good. Because somehow, I knew if I kept saying it enough years, it'd work. All right? It'd work. And so God's been changing our minds. God's been changing our hearts. God's been sending people to faraway places where they need to be. And God's been raising up new people that never heard this stuff before. And here we are. And I'm really thankful for that. And I'm really thankful that God has put us in a position right now where we're not fighting this all the time. But what I want to challenge you on right now is to allow this truth to begin to permeate not only your heart, your life, but the way that you're seeing the people that are around you. And let God begin to show you what's important, not only in them, but also in you. What does he see in you, do you know? When he looks at your heart, when he looks at what's important in you, what does he see? And if you can't answer that, you need to be able to. I want to tell you that. If you're in a position right now where you just can't answer that, you don't know what God sees in you, you you need to be able to answer that because there's good things in you. There's things that, that he sees in you that nobody else can see, maybe. And you at least need to have some kind of awareness of those things in you. His value and His love and His His grace over you. And then His caring into your life. His treasure, how much He treasures you. Why? Well, there's His reasons. He's got them. He's got them. And those of you that have kids, even when your kid is the most obnoxious and rude and whatever else he is, there's always something you're going to treasure about that child. Always. Even if you want to strangle them, there's something in them that you're treasuring because they're your kid. And, And this is a little bonus material, but make sure you tell them every now and then what those things are. Let them know. Let them know enough times that if they were ever asked, what does your mom see in you? That they can answer that question. All right? What does your dad see in you? They can answer that. Oh, well, he thinks I'm funny. Or she thinks that I have a really tender heart. Or she thinks that I'm really forgiving and that I'm really uh, loving, especially toward people that are weaker than me. Or whatever it is. Do you understand what I'm saying? Those things that you know. And and make sure you tell them that. Well, I think God wants to tell us those things too. If we'll stop every now and then and listen. I've heard him speak over some of us here. Words of prophecy that were like that. Where he said, my child, I see that you are whatever it was. I see your heart is open or your heart is tender. I see your heart is is willing. I see that you're one that is not easily turned to the right or the left, but you're faithful to what I've called you to or whatever that word was or whatever that word is. Hang on to those. That's God speaking to us. That's God's telling us. That's what he sees in our heart. Why ignore that? Why not write it down? Why not post that one on the bathroom mirror? Right? That's what God sees in me. And I would suggest to you that there might be some people around you that you trust that you could ask, what do you see in me? And if they're discerning, what does that mean? That they've worked for it? They've acquired? They've sought? They might be able to tell you some of those things too. Because maybe they can see some of what God sees in you too. I'm like, God encourage you that way. Got another verse for you. Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 through 28. 
You know, I think of that verse every time I wash dishes. I'm not even kidding you. I was washing a pot this morning, and I thought of that verse as I was washing it. And I was washing the inside of the pot. And I usually, you know, give a once-over on the outside and stuff, too, when I'm done with the inside. But what's the part you're cooking with? The inside. So I'm going to make sure that's clean. All right? Then the outside, you know, whatever. You know, I get whatever's on the outside. I don't want it burning on it or something. You know, whatever. And I make sure I rinse it all out, and I'm done. But I think of that verse every single time I wash dishes. I'm just reminded of it. It's what's going on in here that matters. It's what's on the inside. So you look at the Pharisees, and they were conditioned to look at the outside. Why? Because we're all conditioned to look at the outside. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the Pharisees or anything, but, I mean, they were just going along in the human condition right there. They looked at the outside because that's what everybody does. The exceptional thought is to look on the inside. The rare thought is to look on the inside. The difficult thought is to look on the inside. And so in practicality, what does that look like in your life? What does that look like in my life, our life as a church? Got a church full of tall, handsome people? But I mean, is that but is that really the result? Or, or do you have a, a, a church of people or a group of people that are diverse on the outside but like-minded and like-hearted on the inside? At least that's what you should be building, right? Yeah. Yeah, because you're you're speaking to people's hearts. You're speaking into people's spirits, into their souls. And so you bring in like-minded, like-souled, like-hearted people to the vision and to the work that you're doing. That's really what the church is all about. But we have to speak that language. We have to believe God in that language, whether it's in our kinships or whether it's at our Bible study or whether it's during a Sunday service or wherever it is, got to speak that language. Even out doing evangelism, we're speaking to the heart. We're speaking into the Spirit. And so as we speak to that, and that's what we're addressing, and that's what we consider important, that's what we're valuing, then the way we look on the outside might end up being a real hodgepodge. At least it should over time. And so I want to encourage you that that's, that's our vision. That's how it's done. I'm looking at pictures of uh, Senegal on Sunday, and you got Tom surrounded by these guys that look nothing like him mm-hmm. at all. But I don't know if you can see how happy he was. And how happy the guys were that were all around him. Because they've connected on a different level. Because I know Tom can't really speak French. You know, uh, know, a ton. He can. He tries. And I know those guys probably don't speak a ton of English either. But something's connected there. Something happens. And we, we find those connections. And we make those connections because those are what really matter but they don't just happen by themselves actions effort all the things we talked about as far as acquiring and seeking because those all need to happen we're going to make those kind of connections into one another's lives and so i want to challenge you that yeah you're going to live within a certain set of rules because you live in the world but I want to encourage you to change whatever rules you have in your brain when it comes to the way you see people and the way that you connect with people. What are the implications of this? There might be people that you work with that you would never look at and think, 
Well, I'm going to be best friends with that person. But all I can say is, you never know. There may be people that you come into contact with that uh, maybe at school or you come into contact with that one of your neighbors or something like that. You look at that person and you never would in a thousand years think, wow, that's the person I would choose to be my friend. And yet, that might be one of the best friends you ever have. You don't know. And so I want to challenge you to really just challenge that rule, whatever that is in your brain, whatever that is in your heart that has been built there over the years and, and see what God might open up. I mean, Maddie, did you ever think that you'd really be, you know, getting in tight with the Chinese people? No. <laughs> no? I don't know. I thought it was the Spanish people. Well, Possibly, yeah. Never. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, who would have figured that one, right? I don't know. I wouldn't have, I guess. Maybe. Yeah, I, I back in, I remember years ago, I'd, I would just assign people to different ministries because we were just starting out and we had to get some order. And so I'd just ask God, I'd be like, so what do you want? And I'd just get answers to it. And people would end up in the weirdest things. Like, you know, like, cause I wouldn't even think about it. I'd just be like, bang, 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 bang. And, and people just end up in the weirdest things that you never would think would work. And yet they did. They just worked. And, and it wasn't because, you know, I had some super insight or something, but it was just, I just heard what God said and just did it, you know. But that's kind of the point. Cause He knows. He does know. He really does. And and his plan is better than anything we could ever come up with. Anything we could ever think of. Right, does anybody have any comments or questions or anything? Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, I was on a I was on a flight one time from Salt Lake City, and I was in the back of a plane, and I was surrounded by Mormon missionaries, all on their way to the field. <laughs> and I mean, literally surrounded. They were they were on every side of me. Like there was a guy sitting beside me. There were three of them over here, and they're in the back. They were behind me, and they were in both seats in the front of me. I mean, they were like they were just. Yeah, literally, and I was just right in the middle of it, you know, and I was just sitting there like, oh, wow. No, 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 they were very relaxed. You know, they, they didn't get to the field yet. They were, they were college students, you know, but they get sent, you know, so they were basically just heading out. They were on their way. No, 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 not at all. And, but I realized where I was and what was going on, you know, and so, and so the guy beside me and I thought about like, wow, you know, this could go all kinds of different ways. And the guy beside me was just a, he was a young guy. He just started talking to me and, uh, not to, this didn't really have anything to do with anything, but he just started talking to me, but he just talked to me and just shared his heart in a way because he, he just didn't want to go. He was just telling me, he's like, yeah, I really don't want to do this. You know, I, I <laughs> and he was just talking, you know, just talking about a bunch of different things. He's like, I don't even know why I'm talking to you. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. And, and it was just a really kind of, it, it made me think again. It's like, this is just a, this is the same age group I've worked with my whole ministry right here. This is just another guy. And, and just being able to talk to him and, 
about individuation, about his parents, about his brothers and sisters, about being in school, what he likes about school, what he doesn't like about school, what he likes about church, what he doesn't like about church, about trying to get a hold of what he really believes, his own faith, not his parents' faith, all this other stuff, everything that I've talked about with people for the last literally 30 years. That's what I've been doing. And yeah, I was on a plane, and I was in the middle of a bunch of Mormon missionaries, but that kid sounded like every other kid that I've talked to over the past 30 years. Anybody else? Comment? Question? Right. Right. Yeah, it's a real thing, though. I mean, it's a real thing that if you don't acknowledge it, I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. It's like we we need to acknowledge this in order to address it and overcome it or bypass it or however you want to look at it, but to to conduct ourselves in a different manner. It has to be acknowledged first. Yep. I mean, God literally tells Samuel, do not look at how handsome he is or how tall he is. Do not. So I thought that was kind of a strong statement by God. To Samuel, who, again, was no spiritual slouch. But he obviously had a blind spot here. Anybody else? Uh-huh. Right. Right. Well, yeah, and there's a certain confidence in in understanding how God sees you. It gives you a certain confidence. And I'm not saying pride. I'm just saying confidence. And there's nothing wrong with confidence. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with boldness. There's nothing wrong with confidence. And it's something that I believe God wants us to have and wants us to live in. And if we really understand how God sees us and we can accept that and we can live in that and that just becomes a part of who we are, it builds a confidence that other people can see in us too. They recognize that. You know, it's, uh, it's frustrating uh, with, with especially, I want to be careful how I say this. I'm not going to say it. All right. I'm not going to say it. Yeah, but it is. It's, it's a frustrating thing when when I can look at someone and I see certain things about them, and yet I know the way they see themselves won't allow them to see that, or won't allow them to express it, or won't allow them to fully live in it, or won't allow them to fully uh, allow God to use them in whatever He wants to use them in. I mean, it's really frustrating. It's frustrating to see that. It's frustrating to watch that. But. I can't crawl inside of somebody and and say, you know, and grab them by the lapels, you know, of their heart and say, listen. Yeah, you got to do that. I'm going to grab them by the liver. 
Well, I'd be afraid to grab certain people by the liver, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right, that's that. So let's pray. Thank you for sharing, everyone. It's always good. Let's pray. Father, I just uh, I just ask you, God, that you would open our eyes to how you see us. I pray, let's start with us. Let's start in our hearts. I pray that we would take some time to hear you. Uh, whether you're going to speak directly to us, you're going to speak to us through your word, whether you're going to speak to us through somebody that's around us all the time, or that knows us. got to pray that we would take the time to listen, and we take the time to really take to heart and take home how you see us, the reality of it, and who you see us to be. For God, I pray that you begin to build a confidence in us of who we are in you. I mean, in reality. Not in comparison to the outward appearance of somebody else. Not in comparison to the outward appearance of the person next to us or the person that we think has it all together or whatever other things that we've judged or said. But God, the reality of how you really see us. And I pray that that will really matter. And will matter so much that it will change our outlook on ourselves, our outlook on you, and our outlook on the way we see other people. God, I pray that we would no longer be so dull that we would keep living in the lies that have gotten us nowhere. The spiritual lies that are perpetuated through well-meaning people in well-meaning circumstances for well-meaning purposes in our lives for well-meaning growth and well-meaning correction or whatever it is they're doing, for all those well-meaning things, I pray, Father, that we would not be so dull as to just accept that, but I pray that we'd live in your truth. We just live in your truth. And so, God, I ask that there would be, in certain ways, some resets in our hearts, resets in our minds, uh, toward other people that we would actively do the spiritual work of discernment and that we would live in truth in the way that we see those around us the way that we interact with those around us the way that we choose to choose to enter into relationships But God, it wouldn't be by the outside. But it would be by your leading. And it would be for your purposes. So God, I pray that we would choose to hear you. We would choose to believe you. And we would choose, God, to follow your direction over whatever it is we're thinking. That we could lay that aside. And in those moments, just be men and women after your heart and walk in you. Walk with you in the cool of the day, just like you always intended. So God, we give you thanks tonight. We ask that uh, you just draw us closer and closer to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.